You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. And we must continue to do it until we are finished or until God is finished with us. We must always do the work. He will be faithful to complete the work in you, but he's called us to do work. He's called us to be about his business. And since he's our father, shouldn't we be like Jesus? Shouldn't I be about my father's business? Shouldn't I be about doing the things of the uh, kingdom? Are you doing the work that God has called on your life? Today, Pastor Dave will remind you that doing kingdom work is part of God's plan. Being a follower of Jesus means to follow in His footsteps. He listened to the voice of God and followed the work He was given. You too should do the work God has given you. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 4 and 5 as he continues his message. Get the picture. verse 9, it says, Furthermore, he made the court of the priests, the court, the great court, and the doors of the court, and he overlaid these doors with bronze. He had a court of the priests, which was also known as the inner court. And then there was the outer court. There were other courts also in there. There was the court of the Gentiles, which was way outside. And then there was the court of the women, which was off to one side and blocked off. They didn't mingle. They didn't come in contact with each other. Naturally, the Gentiles had to stay way outside. And the women couldn't mingle with the men. Turn to Ephesians 2. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Specifically looking at verses 14 through 18. Paul says, for he, Jesus, is our peace who has made one, both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinance as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile both of them to the body through the cross and by putting death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Why did I tell you this? Because there is no wall division in Jesus Christ. We are all one. There is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no male, there is no female, there is no synthesis, there is no anybody else. We are all one in Christ. He broken down those walls. In the temple, they had these walls of separation. And this is what Paul was talking about. They broke the walls of separation down. Jesus broke them down. The two men, the Jew and the Gentile, became one man in Jesus Christ by the cross. For a Jew to believe and get saved, he must or she must go to the cross of Jesus Christ, accept Jesus as the Messiah, and be saved and born again, just like we do. So this represents that. And you see that in there. And you see the intricacy here. The doors were made of bronze. 
It's interesting that bronze was always a symbol of what? Judgment, judgment, sin. Doors were made of bronze, which is always a symbol. But as they walked through, they entered into this beautiful, beautiful place. Who is the doorway to God? It's a Bible study. Jesus is the doorway. Remember I said get the picture? Everything is representative of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the door to the sheep gate. The sheep come in. They know him. They call him. Look at John 10. The only way we can enter into the presence of God is if our sin, our bronze, is judged. It must be judged on the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I forgot one thing. Let me back up. The ten bowls, those bowls that we're talking about, remember we talked about those ten bowls? I didn't say anything about them. A hundred bowls, a hundred bowls of gold. They held the blood. They held the blood that the priest would take into the most holy place and use it and sprinkle on the ark, on the mercy seat of the ark. That's where the blood he would take in. The blood of the animals he would take into that place and sprinkle on there. Those ten things. So we see this. We see this beautiful picture of Jesus' blood cleansing us. We talked about that in 1 John, how Jesus' blood cleansings us from all sin. So we have this beautiful picture. As we go on, it says, then he talks about, he said, he set the sea on the right side toward the southeast. Furthermore, he made a court of the priests and the great court, and the doors of the court, and overlaid those doors in bronze. He set the sea on the right side toward the southeast. Then Huram made the pots and the shovels and the bowls. So Huram finished doing the work that he was to do for King Solomon for the house of God. The two pillars and the bowl-shaped capitals that were on top of the two pillars and the two networks covering the two bowl-shaped capitals, which were the top of the pillars. 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates on each network to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals that were on the pillars. He also made carts and the lavers on the carts. One seed, 12 oxen under it. Also the pots and the shovels and the forks and all the articles Huram, his master craftsman, made of burnished bronze for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. And so he does all these things. Remember this master craftsman that they sent to him. He does all these things. Remember, he was half Israeli and half Gentile, and he was the best craftsman around. Solomon hired to do all this work and his fine artistic work for the temple. He had pots and shovels and bowls. These were a special note that the Chronicle wanted to make note of because there were some of the only articles that were recovered from the first temple, and they had some of them left over that they recovered these articles. And remember, when they come back, everything's in ruins. And it had been in ruins and laying in ruins for 70-some-odd years. 70-some-odd years. And when we get through Second Chronicles, we're going to come into Ezra and then in Nehemiah when this all was taking place. So Ezra, we believe, is a writer here. He's the chronicler. But I love the fact that Hiram finished the work God had called him to do. Finished the work that God had called him to do. He was a faithful servant and finished the work. It's an important note that we too must work the work that God has called us to do. And we must continue to do it until we are finished or until God is finished with us. We must always do the work. He will be faithful to complete the work in you, but he's called us to do work. He's called us to be about his business. And since he's our father, shouldn't we be like Jesus? Shouldn't I be about my father's business? Shouldn't I be about doing the things of the uh, kingdom? 
We must be about our Father's business. We must finish the work he's given us to do. We must run the race to win. We must fight the good fight. We must do all those things, finish the course. Jesus is our example. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus is praying to the Father, in chapter 17, in verse 4, Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus had finished the work that God had given him to do. He says he'd finished it, knowing that he was going to go to the cross, and it would be completely finished when he said, it is finished on the cross. So he did the work that John had called, uh, uh, that God had called him to do. And in Paul's second letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, we see these words. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's what we're to do. We're to fight the good fight. We're to keep the faith and move forward, even in these crazy times. This is not the time to give up. This is not the time to go find a hammock, get a box of bonbons, and sit back and just start popping bonbons until the Lord comes back. This is not the time to do that. This is the time to continue to work that he's called us to do. He's called us to be the light of the world. He's called us to share the gospel with the world. He's called us to do those things. If you don't believe it, read through the gospels and see what Jesus says. He's called us all. He's given us the authority to go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. He's given us calling. Each of us has work to do. We're still here. We're not with him yet. I firmly believe that when your work is finished, he's out of here. He'll take you home. Or we'll be here when he returns and he'll take us home in the air. One way or the other, we're to complete the work. There's a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. The fields are ripe with harvest. The fields, but there are few workers, it says. So we need to go out. We, we learn it here and we take it out there so that others will come. Not necessarily Calvary Chapel, but others will come to the kingdom through the cross. That's what we want. That's what we want. We want people to be saved. So I see this happening here, and that's what I glean from what's happening here with, with, with Huram. He finished the work that God had called him to do, and I love that. He finished the work gladly. He finished the work. You know, we've said this before. Everyone longs to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You're well done because you've finished the work that God has called you to do. You continue to work till the end. You don't give up. You don't slack up. You just continue to do what you're called to do. So we have this beautiful thing, our example. And as we finish out chapter 14, in the plain of Jordan, and the king had them cast the clay molds between Sukkoth and Zeredah. Solomon had all these articles made in such great abundance that the weight of the bronze was not determined. Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of God, the altar of the gold and the tables of the, which was the showbread, the lampstands with their lamps of pure gold to burn the prescribed manner in front of the inner sanctuary, the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold, purest gold. What does gold speak of? Purity, deity. Right, purity and deity. With the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold and purest gold, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, and the censers of pure gold. As for the entry of the sanctuary, it is inner doors of the most holy place, and the doors of the main hall of the temple were gold. 
He's beautiful, beautiful representative of the purity of Christ. The Holy of Holies was a pure place. We're going to talk in about two seconds about the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to discuss that one more time. We've discussed it in length other times. But we see all these beautiful servings, uh, these, all these furnishings of the tabernacle. Now, I said tabernacle because they're exactly the same that was in the tabernacle, but they've doubled in size. There's more of them. Because in the tabernacle, there was only one lampstand. There was only one thing. But now, because it's bigger, they have more things. This is a bigger place, about doubled in size. So as we come to verse 1 in chapter 5, it says, So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated with the silver and gold and all the furnishings, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Solomon finished this work. It was the greatest achievement of his life. The greatest achievement of Solomon's life was this beautiful, beautiful temple. He wanted to do it. He knew God had called him to do it, and he finished it. He had this desire that he got from his father to build the temple. The design was exactly like God had wanted it. He had the plans that David had given him, that God had given to him. The construction we find out in 1 Kings took seven years. It took seven years. Interesting. What's the number seven representative of? Completion. Perfect. Perfectness. Completion. It took seven years. It's God's perfect number. And then we come back to the ark once again. And let's look at verse 2. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, in Jerusalem, that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is in Zion. It was safely there. They built this temple. They wanted to get it. Now they they were ready to place it there. They, They wanted to bring it up there. The ark was made of acacia wood, according to Exodus 25.10. This wood is very special. It's a wood that does not root and is found in dry ground. It has exterior horns, and an interior contains a gum-like substance that's used for medicine, even today. Once again, we have a picture of Jesus, because The love of Jesus never fades away or it never rots. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in chapter 53 of Isaiah, in chapter 53, 2, Isaiah declared that the Messiah would be of a root out of dry ground. Again, the acacia wood, dry ground. It's a picture of Jesus. Jesus wore a crown of thorns, these thorns that are talked about here. And by his stripes we've been healed. The ark of the wood was covered with gold, speaking of his deity. The wood speaks of Jesus' humanity. The gold speaks of his deity. So we have this box, this monster box. The official installation of the ark of the covenant in the temple was an extremely important occasion. And Solomon wanted the representatives of the entire kingdom to take part in this event. It was very, very important. It's popularly respected to the pattern design of the Mosaic Law. It's what God had commanded them to do. So he wanted everybody there to do this, to make sure it was happened. He didn't want any disobedience. He wanted to make sure he was doing everything according to the law. See how well Solomon is acting here? See how well he's doing when it comes to these things? It's it's, it's crazy how Fast he falls away. It's sad. Let's look 3 to 10. Therefore, 
All the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. And the priests and the Levites brought them up. According to the law of Moses, the priests were the only ones that could carry the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites were the only ones that could carry the tabernacle, only ones that could carry the ark. So they go down. Remember, where are they going to get all this? Where is the tabernacle at this time? It's in Gibeon. So they go down to Gibeon. They get the ark. They bring it up properly. What's the proper way to bring the ark? They carry it on the poles. They carry it. And they have to wrap up. I'm sure they're thinking, I hope this is the last time we have to do this. I'm sure they're very wrapping up that thing. But they never had to do it because they were brand new. Also, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted because the number for the multitude. My gosh. One commentator said, Solomon kind of went over the top with this praise. He was sacrificing everything that walked. He was crazy. He was sacrificing all this stuff. Can you imagine the blood? Can you imagine the blood? It is said that during Passover, the blood that ran from the temple down into the Kidron Valley made the, the brook Kidron swell. It was so much. It was just a little brook, but the blood made it swell. Incredibly, incredible. The priest brought the ark up. Then the priest brought the, in the ark of the covenant to the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles of the ark could be seen in front of the holy place, in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside, and they were there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except two tablets, which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. Interesting. Until the ark came into the temple, what was the temple? It wasn't anything special. It was just a building. Just four walls and a bunch of gold and all kinds of things around. It really wasn't any special. What did the ark represent? Presence of God, the glory of God. Once they took the ark into the temple, it became a holy place because it came a place where God dwelt. Now, as I studied this, I really thought that the Lord was impressing something upon my heart. When we didn't know Christ, we were an empty shell. We were just an empty shell. The scripture says we were dead in our trespasses, dead in life, destined for hell. We were an empty shell. But we accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. What happened? The Holy Spirit came into us, and the Holy Spirit has made us alive in Jesus Christ. It, we were dead in our trespasses. We were the walking dead. AMC has no coin on that. We were the walking dead first. We were the walking dead until the glory of God came into us by the Holy Spirit and we became alive. Just like the temple was just nothing. It was a vacant shell until the Spirit of God came in and the presence of God came there and then it came to life. Just like our lives. Just like our lives. 
When the Holy Spirit came unto us, we were alive, and we became alive in Jesus Christ. The wings of the cherubim, these massive cherubim, in the interior of the temple, the cherubims were there, and they surrounded the throne in heaven. It's just like the cherubims up there. Remember Isaiah, when he saw the glory of God, he talked about the cherubim and the seraphim. He talked about them. The design of the temple was after a pattern of the tabernacle. We said that. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of Moses that he put there. These are the Ten Commandments. What should have been there? Aaron's rod that budded and a golden pot full of manna. That was originally in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ten Commandments, the stone tablets, Aaron's rod that budded, and the jar containing manna. Nobody knows what happened to them. We don't know what happened to them, but they were not in the ark when Solomon put them here. It says so. The only thing that was there were the Ten Commandments. So we have this beautiful picture here of them setting this inside. The temple was built. It's a dwelling place for God. Verse 11, And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. Remember, they only were allowed in there during the division that there was already talked about in the beginning of Chronicles. But they all went in because this was a special time for them to put the ark there. And the Levites who were with the singers, all those of Asaph, Heman, and Jebuthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, string instruments, and harps, and with one of them 120 priests surrounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpets and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they had lifted up their voice to the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music and praising the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. I loved it. Isn't that beautiful? The worship team showed up, right? The worship team showed up. They had all their instruments, and they were ready to play these songs, and they were ready to praise God. Notice when the Lord came. Notice when the cloud came. When did the cloud descend upon the ark? When they were worshiping him, exactly. When they were having a praise service. Scripture says he inhabits the praises of his people. They were praising him. They had this wonderful praise time. And all of a sudden this cloud comes in, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, by the way, comes in and fills the place so bad that they had to leave. What a beautiful picture. I love this. The ark represents Jesus. He is our mercy seat. He is our mercy seat. He is where we are judged. According to man, once to die, then the judgment. We have been judged. We have been judged for our sins because of our acceptance of Jesus Christ. The ark represents him. This beautiful picture of what we have. This gorgeous, gorgeous picture of all we have. You are Second Chronicles is the ongoing account of the kings of Israel and then Judah. Here, on Assure Hope, Pastor Dave has been teaching through this book, giving you a good awareness of the things that happened during this time. He started with King Solomon's reign, and you quickly see how when things are managed by mere men, it starts to devolve into selfish wants and desires. 
This is the way of the world, isn't it? But in contrast to that, you get a glimpse into a few kings who really sought after the Lord and tried to honor him with their kingly reign. Being human, there's always that tension between what you want and how it gives you that esteem versus doing what honors God and gives him glory. It can be easy to look at some of the examples of these kings and quickly start to look down on them. But if you were faced with that same culture and situations, would you do any differently? To know that a few of these men stood up against the crowd is striking. They decided to be countercultural and chose to honor God above all. Wouldn't it be great for God to say the same about you? We're so glad you decided to join us today. This series in the book of 2 Chronicles is one that you'll want to keep tuning into. One teaching connects to the next and helps give you the context of the book as a whole. If you'd like to hear today's message again or you missed one and want to go back to it, head over to assurehoperadio.com. We're out of time for today, but we're excited for you to join us again. Never forget that because of God, you have a sure hope. Oh